0: Hello, and welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. I'm Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the venerable Bob DeMena. Bob, <laughs> Bob please, please share with everyone how they can get in touch with us. I
1: don't even know what venerable means. <laughs> anyway,
0: uh, all right, everybody, so check
1: us out, um, the usual places. We're on iTunes, we are on uh, Radio Public, Google Play, Stitcher, we have a Facebook group oh yes I really want to talk about this our Facebook group known as the Traveler's Blueprint Community join the group Um, we can get intimate there and discuss the ins and outs of our podcast if you're interested in learning more about what we're doing and why we're doing it if you have guest recommendations if you want to just talk about travel or maybe get some tips from us we can do it there Uh, we'd love to hear back from you so please join the group the Traveler's Blueprint Community and uh Go to our website, email us, do whatever else else you want to do. We're here for your listening pleasure, and we'd be more than happy to talk with you.
0: All right, and now it's time to listen to the tips and tricks that you all provided for traveling this holiday season. We received many submissions, but we will only be going through our favorite three. We have one from John, who refuses to travel at all and makes everyone come to him, which... I guess it can work until you realize that you have to make everything and house everyone and then everyone's in your house making it dirty. But that's just what I think. We have Andy, who uses Waze to beat traffic, even though it takes him really weird routes. He still trusts it every time. And then Lauren wakes up at the butt crack of dawn to get and stay ahead of noob travelers. Well, thank you all for your responses and hope you have safe travels for this Thanksgiving, and holiday season. Today's guest is my uncle. He is a graduate of Kings Point. He spent some time in the Merchant Marine, and he is an avid rugby player. Once got kicked in the stomach and had his intestine break and had to have surgery because it's sealed and they had to reopen it. Um, I want (laughs) to welcome everyone to the one and only Anthony Shibley. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Uncle Tony, as I know you, as other people may know you as Anthony or Tony, um, but I want to thank you for coming on to the show and hopefully talking about your experience as an expatriate and living in the Philippines and all of your travels before that.
2: All right. Well, thank you for that welcome. and. Hopefully, it's not too boring.
0: <laughs> given given the little bit of your history, I don't think this will be boring, and I'm kind of excited. It should be. It should be very interesting.
1: Um, I'm I'm pretty excited to hear this. It, yeah, the Philippines is the country that I've been interested in for a while. I went to Thailand with my with my now wife a few years ago, and it was sort of between Philippines or Thailand. So now I guess we have to come back to Southeast yeah, Southeast Asia. Okay,
2: great. Yeah, well, Th- Thailand's in the same neighborhood, so <laughs> yeah, but much more Asian than the Philippines, I would say.
0: <laughs> yeah, we actually recorded a top 10 episode not too long ago, and the Philippines were in both of our top 10s. It was actually number one for me, and it was, I think you're
2: number eight or seven.
1: Uh, yeah, I, f- I forget. I forget where it was. Yeah, it's on there, though.
2: Before we get any further, you guys are always welcome to visit I've got plenty of room, so just uh, avoid the typhoons and everything's good here.
0: (laughs) Where exactly are you located?
2: I'm right now in Metro Manila, in Taguig City.
0: And what island is that?
2: Uh, This is the island of Luzon. Oh, yeah, Manila. The biggest of the three major islands, yeah. Metro Manila, the capital. A city of about 15 million people. That's like New
0: York size, right? Yeah, a bit bigger. When is the best time to actually come if we were to visit? When we visit. Yeah, the nicest
2: weather is sort of December, January, and February. Okay. So like a, winter. Like a New Year's party. Yeah. Yeah, we are we're in the northern hemisphere. Uh, just like Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. we're just a little bit further south. Okay. Right around uh, 14 degrees latitude.
0: All right. Yeah, we're about 38.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we're uh we're we're basically somewhere around uh middle of Mexico.
0: Okay. So it should be. It, I guess it is warm. It's tropical.
2: Yeah, we're we're subtropical, and it's. Uh, but we're uh, this weather patterns are similar to this northern hemisphere. People get confused thinking we're in the southern hemisphere, but we're not. Yeah, <laughs> we're just <laughs> a long right. way away because longitudinally we are on the other side of the international dateline.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're. It's about nine p.m. here for Bob and I, and it's just before nine over there.
2: Tomorrow for yes. Us? Yeah, we're Monday morning. We're exactly twelve hours off uh, ahead.
0: Does does the Philippines have uh daylight savings? Do they follow that?
2: No, we don't. So uh when, when you come off daylight savings, then we're thirteen hours ahead. Okay. So okay. depending on the time you we're either twelve or thirteen. Okay.
0: That's kind of nice. I daylight savings is always kind of annoying to go through. I never really liked it. I,
2: I think Benjamin Franklin never visited the Philippines, that's why. <laughs> Probably not. Actually, I'm pretty sure he didn't. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) he was
1: busy with other things. Yeah, he was flying. Um,
0: I do want to get into how you came to be living in the Philippines and working there. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a bit about your undergraduate and postgraduate and then your time in Navy.
2: Yeah, maybe I can take five minutes and my my life's pretty simple to walk through. So uh, I'll (laughs) I'll take a, a five minute introduction if it's okay.
0: Yeah, please
2: sure so i was born and raised in pennsylvania uh, lehigh valley area uh, eastern pennsylvania Uh, then we moved out closer to pittsburgh middle of the state altoona so we bounced around a lot Uh, i would say pretty normal rural life um public school involved in sports and my life changed a lot when i made a college selection so i i we didn't uh didn't have so much extra cash sitting around, so I needed to find a way to get through through university in, in the best way possible. So I really focused on service academies, uh, applied to West Point, Annapolis, Coast Guard, and eventually the Merchant Marine Academy. So I was fortunate enough to have those choices, and I selected the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, otherwise known as Kings Point, it's in Kings Point, New York. So what was significant about that, up till uh, 17 years old, when I was applying, I never had a passport. So For the first 17 years without a passport, we we traveled to Canada, but back in those days, you didn't need anything, just went across the border. Considering that the rest of my life from 18 years old onwards has been consumed by traveling, it's kind of strange that the first 17 years I didn't have a passport. So uh, yeah, I spent four years at the Merchant Marine Academy. Uh, One of the special things about that school uh, is that we spend one year at sea during our school term. So we, we have two six-months six a years, and uh, we sell on, on merchant vessels of all types, uh, so container ships, oil tankers, bulk, and uh, that, was, that was the first real international experience I had. One thing that I, I kind of take as, uh, as, as a unique thing in my life, I traveled to five continents before ever taking my first international flight, so I thought it was... Uh, wow. It was, uh, not so many that can say that. So yeah. all the all the international travel I did in the first five continents was by ship. Uh, that's
0: pretty. So kind of that's name.
1: impressive. That's yeah. That's pretty neat.
2: So uh, that was uh, that was my really introduction to the to the world stage, uh, on graduation in 1988. Had a number of job choices. The U.S. Merchant Marine at the time was a little bit slow, as it continues to be today, mostly because of flags of convenience. Uh, basically the. The merchant vessels are flagged in foreign countries like Panama, Liberia, and, the fin- and such. So we, uh, I, I got an opportunity to work with a Finnish company that was an engine manufacturer that uh, was focused on marine. Uh, they, there was actually a shipyard, but then they did engine building. So I, I joined Wartsila Corporation. Uh, they were based in Finland. So the the thing that really drove me towards that company uh, was that I was going to go through a three-year apprenticeship program. And that three-year apprenticeship program included two stints in Finland. So I lived in Finland for one year, uh, two different cities, and worked in the factory building engines, uh, doing sea trials, commissioning, service work. So I spent the first six years of my career with Wartsila Corporation as a service engineer. Most of the time, I was, uh, I was aboard merchant vessels, but I did dabble into power plants. So uh, aside from Finland, I was uh, in Finland one year. I was in Puerto Rico for three years, and then I moved to Miami for two years. So it didn't really matter where I lived because I traveled 90% of the time. Okay. The, the,
0: last,
2: the last year I was with Wartzilla, I actually traveled 305 days. <laughs> so most, most people work 240 days a year. and so Yeah, that, that's a lot of travel. That, a lot of travel, and then when you come back, you're in the shops. It was uh, it was a pretty heavy workload. Uh, one of the last jobs I did, I, I started up two power plants in Guatemala on the west coast of Guatemala in Puerto Quetzal, and uh, there was a new power company that was getting into international power. His name was Enron. Ah, and so I recall that. I was, yeah, I was introduced to Enron at that time, and then a the headhunter started to tracked me down because I was the startup manager for that project. And at the same time, Enron was doing a startup in the Philippines. So eventually, after multiple phone calls and about four months of chasing, I I decided to leave Wurtsala and join Enron. And I spent the next eight years with Enron, mostly in the Philippines. I was uh, 1993 through 99 in the Philippines to start up two power plants. The Philippines at that point, they were having a power crisis uh, coming out of the Marcos era. And uh, they were trying to restore democracy with President Cory Aquino. And part of restoring democracy, other things slide by. So, yeah, they they were really trying to fight their way out of a power crisis. There were 12-hour brownouts. It was pretty awful. So, anyway, that was a good experience. Uh, I was technical manager, then plant manager. And in 99, I decided I should go back to school for a little while. Actually, I was thinking how to take a break because it was nonstop work since I got out of university. And
0: Yeah, it was like 11 uh, years of
2: just grinding. Yeah, grinding, yep, absolutely. 12-hour days and really no days off. And uh, in between, there's still some fun to be had. But uh, I-, I couldn't quite justify taking two years off, so I decided to go back to school. year. <laughs> You can just while away some time and get an education. (laughs) I I went to, uh, from 99 to 2001, um, Enron was very generous and gave me an educational leave of absence, so I was still employed. Uh, uh, I went to a full-time MBA program, and I chose Thunderbird uh, because, uh, so Thunderbird is an international school of uh, purely graduate management studies, and uh, they... It was, it was actually an old Air Force base in Phoenix, Arizona, in Glendale, Arizona, and focused on international business. So at the end of World War II, they decided a lot of Americans don't know much about international studies. So uh, it, was, it was started by an old, uh, by an ex-Air uh, Force officer. And uh, it was, it's really, it's a unique school because even if it's in the United States, 70% of the student body is foreign oh, and 30% wow. are so it kind of fit in with where my life was going. Yeah. So I spent two years there, uh, came out, went back to Houston, did eight interviews in one day, and, and Ron wasn't doing so well at the time, <laughs> awfully confused, and I don't know what happened in the two years I was out. Uh, so I ended up resigning, just not, not because I knew it was going to crash, just because I, I didn't really agree with the business plan, which was zero asset, and I'm an asset manager, and so I, I resigned. And uh, I joined El Paso Corporation, planned to relocate to Houston, and that didn't really work so well either. <laughs> because they little did I know El Paso had six power plants in the Philippines, and next thing I knew I was on a plane back to the Philippines, which I when thought you I was thought done. you were done. <laughs> but I was done. So as a sideline on that, I right before I came back to school, I got married. Yeah. And while I was in school, we were working on the green card. And okay. so, just as I graduated, so and Susie, yes, we uh, got married before I left, and then she we had really ha- had plans to relocate back to the u s. I' had been traveling all that time and said, "Yeah, it's time to spend some time back in the United States." And uh, the two weeks before uh, I joined El Paso, and Susie came to this came to the u s with her green card. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was a real big decision point for us to to leave the U.S. after she had just got her green card. Yeah. And that's uh, that's an issue. I bring it up because that was in 2001, and we're we're still a little bit struggling with that issue today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, it's uh, it's one of those things that you have to manage career and life, and so what to do? We ended up back in the Philippines. I thought it was going to be just for a couple of years. El Paso was an uh, El Paso Corporation was another big uh, international player, but they also had uh, they they were chasing Enron like many power companies were, and uh, they they wanted to be deregulated and make more money. Didn't want to wait along, and so they had unlimited trade positions. Eventually, they got into the same trouble as Enron. So we had eighteen projects here in Asia. We had to sell them, and uh, that. That led me to forming our own company in 2000.
0: And what so, is that?
2: Uh, so our, the, the company I formed with our El Paso team in 2005 was Gigawatt Power Inc. So from 2005 to present, that's who I work for. So my short stint back in the Philippines has turned into a rather extended stay. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, someone questioned the definition of short. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, this
2: is my 25th year in the Philippines.
0: Wow. And-
2: How often do you travel back to the States? Well, so back to the green card, so uh, Susie is now uh, Susie and our son Nathan, who's six. They are currently living in Guam, which uh, is a territory of the United States, so one of the five territories of the U.S. Puerto Rico and Guam being the the closest or I would say the the most close-knit. Then you have sort of America, Samoa, you have Saipan, different, uh, different categories, but uh Guam is a US territory so it is US immigration US customs everybody there has a US passport okay so okay. she's getting her residency in order to apply for citizenship okay so if you say how long how often do I go back to the US now it's about every 3 weeks
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and if what about uh the continental because I know you, your parents, my grandparents, are still in Florida and Pennsylvania. Um, do you travel back frequently to visit them?
2: Yeah, typically over the years, I've been traveling about three times per year back to the continent. US.
1: Have you been looking into like collecting airline miles for any or anything like that? Has that has that crossed your mind? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got a little disillusioned. I, I was uh, the, the goal of any collection program should be to become a million miler because a, a lot of airlines, once you reach million miler, you're permanently elite or, or you get special privileges. So I attained that on Northwest because uh, I traveled a lot. And then when Delta bought Northwest, they, they disbanded the frequent flyer program and said, yeah, you know, you, you got you have one and a half million miles and sorry about that. We're, we're, it's all gone. <laughs> wow. They didn't, they didn't they do They did anything. that. Now Delta just said they you're you're now welcome to join Delta program, but uh, they they just part of the merger or the purchase of Northwest. They they had to so the frequent flyer program, the retirement program, a lot of people just got wiped out. Wow, there okay, it goes.
0: And there was no option. Like, did they warn people that it was going to be discontinued or not
2: transferable? Sure, sure they sent an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the day before. <laughs> wow so yes yeah, so i i don't i mean frequent flyer miles they're there they're, they get you some free flights but other than that i don't yeah look for the best travel options nowadays as i'm getting a little bit older and my knees are a little bit sore from rugby i usually look for the most direct and shortest flights <laughs> yeah that's probably a good call
1: get that exit row with, with some extra leg room
2: yes exactly yeah are you still... or cheat a little bit and fly business class once in a while? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you still play in rugby at all? Uh, I I am playing sparingly, but I'm more organizing, coaching, sponsoring these days. Okay, that's cool. And you played
0: you played quite a bit in your formative years, weren't you?
2: Yeah, I started at Kings Point, so I I played uh, played during my university years. Then I took a break, and I came back and played at Thunderbird, and then after Thunderbird. I started to play a lot when I came back to the Philippines and became very active in the Philippine Rugby Football Union. Do they
0: have, is there a big following of rugby in the Philippines?
2: Uh, it's be, it's becoming, it's, rugby is the fastest growing sport in the world. And yes, the Philippines is doing pretty well. We've gone to the Sevens World Cup, which is quite a, an accomplishment. Yeah. And yeah, so I spent time building some local teams and then I've been on the board I've been a board member officially for four years, unofficially for Okay. So yeah, a lot a lot of involvement at that level of the sport. So you
0: you work in Metro Manila. Do you have do you also live in Metro Manila?
2: I do. Yes, I live in Metro Manila. Unfortunately. A lot of traffic. Yeah.
0: Do you do you usually drive, walk, bike?
2: Uh, typically drive. Okay. What's that like? But, uh, it's okay. So my other hobby is motorcycle riding. So I've done about 100,000 kilometers on Harleys in the Philippines. So I've seen a lot of it. by bike. Oh. once you get out of Metro Manila, there's a lot of nice roads in the Philippines. Okay. Just just a lot of traffic during during well, at all times in Metro Manila these days. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do they drive on the right side of the road?
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of US influence. As this was our one sort of failed colonial attempt. Yeah, is
0: there a lot of Spanish influence too? There is. It
2: was. Uh, it was almost 400 years of Spanish rule, and then in 1898 was the Spanish-American War, and the U.S. more or less, you could say, liberated the Philippines, but not for long, because then, then there was a short struggle, and in 1901, uh, the the U.S took over uh, the government. And the first governor of the Philippines was Howard Taft. Really? Who eventually, yeah, who eventually became a U.S. president. Uh, that's a fun fact. Yeah, so from 1901 until the Japanese occupation during World War II, about 1942, the, uh, the there was an American governmental role here. Uh, and then at once the U.S. forces, when MacArthur came back, he said, right, that when I'll be back and came to Eastern late they and liberated the Philippines by defeating the Japanese. So they, uh, that was, that was the time that the U.S. decided to return the Philippines to the Philippines, and they've been self-governed since 1945.
0: Okay, yeah. The only the only fact I knew about Howard Taft before the fact that he was the first governor of the U.S. ruled Philippines is that he was, <laughs> got stuck in a tub.
2: Yeah, four hundred pound men. Big yeah. Big men.
0: Yeah, I don't know how he was able to travel that much. Need a lot of food to carry with him.
2: <laughs> seems seems to be
0: yes. So you've since you've been in the Philippines for oh, about 25 years now. Do you have a favorite spot to travel to when you're not working?
2: Um, luckily, I get to travel a lot through work. So in, uh, we're we're in the power generation business, which is essentially the career I've been in most of my life, whether marine based or power plant based, land based. And so we're, uh, we're focused on uh, the off-grid area of the Philippines, meaning the islands that are not connected. Uh, so the Philippines has 7,107 islands, and so 300 major islands. And uh, the, uh, many of those are not connected. They're, they have to self-generate. So through um, mini-grids, micro-grids, we're, we're focused on, uh, on the number of these islands. So our, our biggest focal point at the moment is the most western island, which is Palawan. Uh, it's, it's a forest island. It's not connected to any other island. So we generate about 60% of the power for the island of Palawan. Okay. So we're, uh, luckily, I, I get to combine business and travel uh, because most people going there are, are dressed in uh, shorts and and Hawaiian shirts and <laughs> we, we We've got our jeans and work boots on, but okay. <laughs> it's it's still a nice place to travel to. Okay. So, yeah, I uh, I, I have traveled around the Philippines, uh, almost the, the entire country. Um, Southern Philippines, Mindanao, still has a lot of insurgency problems. And so there's, there's a bit of restricted travel still in Mindanao, mm. unfortunately. Okay. Insurgency
1: problems as in there are what...
2: Uh, so the Philippines is about 90% Catholic. It's the only uh, predominantly Catholic country in Asia. But Mindanao has a heavy population of Muslims uh, due, okay. it, due to its proximity north of being north of Malaysia. And so the uh, the, the insurgency is really coming from the the, the Muslim uh, portion of the population there. There's been a, a lot of efforts to create. Their, there's an autonomous region of Muslim Mindanao, the Orem region that they've tried to allow them to govern themselves, but still part of the Philippines. Uh, you know. Okay.
0: There yeah, there was some news, what was that, last year, two years ago? There was a lot of, like, was Duterte going after them?
2: Yeah, so President Duterte is from Mindanao. Uh, he's from Davao, which okay. is one of Main cities in Mindanao, and he's made a special effort, really, uh, in both a forceful way and a diplomatic way, to bring them together. Uh, recently, the Bangsamoro Organic Law was was passed, and they're again trying to work towards a peace accord. But it's, uh, it's it's been a really difficult process, as in many parts of the world. Yeah, where there's just uh, there's just so large differences, ideological differences that uh, the the bridge between those differences is often difficult to span.
0: Since you've been able to travel quite a bit, what is your favorite region that you've been able to travel to? Uh,
2: in the Philippines? In the Philippines specifically, yeah. Yeah, the, I, I will, uh, Palawan is definitely my favorite area. Uh, Northern Palawan, Coron um, is uh, the Colombian island group, uh, which is Northern Palawan, has 370 islands. And so Karoon is the major town. That's the jump-off in a in a main, main island of Botswana. We we supply 100% of the power supply there, but it's a uh, it's just an amazing place. There's so many islands that are uninhabited, and you just take a boat, two three-hour boat ride, go go for the day on the beach, and uh, it's it's really spectacular. Uh, it's been. Generally off the chart for tourists until about the last 10 years. Okay. And so okay. there's still a lot of untouched areas and untouched beaches. So Northern Palawan is really spectacular. Uh, Boracay has been voted one of the top 10 beaches many times over. Uh, an interesting fact this year President Duterte has decided to close Boracay for six months to rehabilitate uh, the area. Really? so. It's, it's in many island resorts where the, the infrastructure just was not able to keep pace with the amount of tourists flooding in. Beautiful beach and hotels, basically, no, no facilities at all to manage sewage and waste and, and solid, solid waste. So it became a very big problem. And he saw no other way out than to simply to close it. Wow. And so currently it's still closed.
0: When is it planned to reopen?
2: I think it's planning to reopen uh, in November. Okay. Quite a large decision to close the most popular beach resort uh, island in the Philippines.
0: Yeah. So, how many oh. visitors did that get per year?
2: Uh, I I think Boracay gets about uh, one and a half million visitors per year. It's a it's quite a small island, so it's a massive amount. Okay. So when you just tell sort of a million people, sorry, cancel all your reservations, you can't come. It's closed. Yeah. And uh, there, there's just you can't. There's no bridge. So, but it's a short ferry ride, and they just, they just, uh, they have, a, they actually lock down the island. If you were not a resident with the right pass, you could not even get on the island. Wow. So,
0: is tourism a big part of the Philippines GDP?
2: It is. Uh, it's not nearly as big as, say, Thailand, which relies a lot on tourism. Okay. Uh, it, it's a, it's a greatly untapped. Because there are a lot of places in the Philippines. Philippines people find it difficult from landing in the airport to getting your your all your tours sorted out. It's not as organized and structured as a lot of other tourism markets, but it is still a it's a reasonable part. from your
0: perspective, would you do you wanna would you prefer to keep it that way? <laughs>
2: Yeah, there's there's always that secret wish that you if you find a nice place you want to keep it to yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think a, if there's a balance between responsible tourism and uh, sharing what 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 you've seen, mm-hmm. there's there's a, there's always the desire to, to share. So yeah. I, I I think it's uh, mixed feelings on that one.
1: I think the, the cat is sort of out of the bag in some aspect because I've seen so many pictures of the Philippines, those iconic limestone cliffs, and I've seen one picture in particular that it just has a ton of them, just very close together, and I don't know where that picture is taken, but I've seen it. I've seen it multiple times.
2: Yeah, that's probably in El Nido. That also is uh, that's north the most one of the most northern points of mainland Palawan. Okay. So El, El Nido is a is an absolute beautiful area.
1: Yeah, I have, I have the Philippines op- open on my Google Maps as we're talking about this, just to put all these locations in perspective as we're going. So I see the area you're talking
2: about. Yeah, the Philippines is, is pretty simple. It's broken into three major island groups, Luzon, Visayas, and Mindanao. Uh, the Visayas is actually a cluster of islands, so Cebu being the center, and then you have to the east, you've got Samar and Leyte. To the west, you have uh, Iloilo and Negros and uh that's basically stuck in between Mindanao and Luzon. And then okay. then you have the outlying islands. So as I said to the far west is Palawan and uh then then you've got a sprinkling of islands uh, everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a big eye. it's a it's a big arch, archipelago.
0: So you had, you were there first time in 93?
2: 93, December of 93. Okay. is the first trip.
0: Did you know the language at all before going? Okay. And do you,
2: I assume you know it now. Uh, I, I understand pretty well. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It is primarily Tagalog, right?
2: Uh, the official language is Filipino, which is is supposed to be an incorporation of many dialects, but it is substantially Tagalog.
0: Okay. Is Tagalog the the native language to the Philippines or are there several? One of many,
2: one of many. Okay. So yeah, that's always a, a tough point because in the Visayas they, they speak uh, Visayan Cebuano Ilongo, uh, Waray, so all sort of Visayan-based languages, and they're not so happy speaking Filipino because mm-hmm. it's uh, even if it's a dialect. It's really it's a different language, and so that's why Filipino. Uh, if for instance, if you have someone from Manila that goes to Cebu. And the person from Manila speaks Tagalog and the Cebuano, he, he basically won't speak Tagalog.
0: Really? So they speak English.
2: They speak English.
0: Huh.
2: That's right. the bridge. English is the bridge. And that's why English is so prevalent prevalent here. Okay. It's also the same official language. Filipino and English are the two official languages. Okay.
1: A lot of people spoke English when I visited the uh, when I visited Thailand too. It made it a lot easier than I thought it was going to be uh, when I was heading out that way. But, so I'm I'm curious to to know what life is like as an expat. Is there any anything that you miss about the United States, or you know, it has like don't the miss. <laughs> or don't miss and and the adjustment of you know living pretty much you know most of your life here and then moving to the a small Asian island out in the Pacific Ocean. It's a big difference. It's a big change.
2: Yeah, I think the differences are are becoming less because of the internet and the connectivity. Mm-hmm. You and 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 amazon
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> so you
1: have amazon you can get amazon packages
2: yeah you, you know the the world is getting smaller and smaller that is. so i i always say i think i got my first cell phone that i carried with me on all the time in about 1998 so it was uh before be, and it, it's uh it, And I got my first my first internet account was America Online, so AOL. (laughs) AOL. Yeah. I I still remember the first time you hear that dial up, you know that wah wah wah, (laughs) and just I I thought it was an amazing thing that you can type, send an email, and I'm I'm showing my age a little bit here, but. Wow, it was uh, the and th- now you see kids growing up, they're born with the cell phone in their hand, they already have an email account, and they've got everything else. Yeah, I guess Facebook yeah. is for old people now, but
0: whatever it is, <laughs>
2: Twitter, Instagram, and, and, and all that Snapchat. good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a- as an expat, we used to be more isolated, and there were good, uh, there were good parts to that because, of course, you miss your family. So. Mm-hmm. Communication used to be a real challenge, and uh, through before there was the readily accessible cell phone. Now, with Grandpa, I just send them a text message and say, "Hey, let's get on Skype. Let's yeah. have a chat. let each other." And they can see how Nathan's growing up. And yeah. so it's it's really it's a uh, the world is becoming smaller and smaller, and so the differences are shrinking. Because if you would like, there's really something you miss uh, if you miss. Peanut flavored M&Ms because you can't find them here. Yeah, you go on Amazon and have them shipped.
1: <laughs> uh. Oh, see, so it's kind of cheating a little bit now, isn't it? Huh?
2: <laughs> it is cheating a little bit. Yeah, it used used to be much different, and you yeah. would just in, in your three three or four trips a year, you would just fill your suitcase with all the stuff. Right. Yeah. So stuff, stuff that we used to bring back. It's it's funny. It it evolves because we couldn't find rice around here so there's plenty of rice <laughs> like ah let's bring rice around because it's quick it's fun yeah just diff- different tastes <laughs> so uh, it's uh, but now nowadays the world really is it's uh, it's changing so fast that it's much easier to be an expat but it also takes away that, that mystery mm-hmm. a little bit how yeah. traveling used to, used to be more of an exploration or maybe i've been traveling so much now there's uh, in seventy plus countries, so it's uh, less less unexplored places. Yeah. The first time you travel somewhere, the very first time you ever go, you always get that little tingle. Wow, <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, I played in a rugby tournament last last September in, in the Saigon Tens, so it was the first time I had gone to Vietnam. And it, it was it was a really yeah, I, that cool feeling again. That okay, I've never been here. Before. Uh, okay, yeah.
1: So have you have you extended out into other Asian countries though while you've been there?
2: Uh, A a lot of it has been work, but, yeah, we've done trips uh, with just pure tourism, Thailand's there. Uh, Been playing rugby around Asia quite a lot, Saigon, Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, normal business pleasure, Hong Kong, Singapore, so pretty accessible, easy to get to. OK, um, I, I've been one of the things in El Paso, I was the country manager of Bangladesh for four years. So I was mm-hmm. monthly. Uh, I was doing monthly trips to Bangladesh from from Manila for a while. And so I got to know that country pretty well. And we had projects around the country. So I got to see a lot of Bangladesh. Uh, uh,
0: and- what is Bangladesh like? I, you don't hear too many people that have actually been to Bangladesh, especially for yeah. business. Yeah
2: right well they don't well they don't really have a tourism market mm-hmm. uh just just it's a it's, it's a little bit difficult place it's uh densely populated uh you, you can think the size of Wisconsin and you have a, you have 170 million people in Wisconsin so wow it's it's really amazingly uh the population the density you can't really appreciate it till you, till you go there uh it's poor it's a delta mhm so because it's a delta, rivers that are usually typically a, a mile wide will swell to 20 miles wide during during the flooding season. Wow! So it's um, it's it's tough from that perspective. Uh, from from a geography, they they've got some serious disadvantages. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're kind of squished between Myanmar and India,
2: or I guess. Yeah. yeah, actually, India wraps the whole way around the west side to the north side and even down on the east side. India wraps all around Bangladesh, and the only other border they share is Myanmar. Okay. So, correct. so if you've heard of the Rohingya uh, yeah. problem, it's uh, they're, they're going from Myanmar over to Bangladesh because they're Muslims, and Bangladesh is predominantly Muslim. Okay. It's an 85% uh, Muslim population there. But really warm people in Bangladesh. I mean, I, I've always felt welcome there. Never really felt threatened. Uh, even there, there are there's there's some civil unrest pretty often. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, they just have general strikes, and during general strikes, you, nobody's allowed to drive and go out. So if you go to a meeting, you, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but you go to a meeting, you just get you you hire an ambulance and you you get tucked in the back of an ambulance, and that's the <laughs> only. Reason. To a meeting, so a little bit interesting. <laughs>
0: wow,
1: that's uh, yeah, that's, that's smart. A neat, neat little trick, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so I do want to so circle back to the the question that Bob posed: the being an expat, um, do do people come to visit you rather than you going back to the states? I know uh, yeah. you've never
2: been here. I have never been there. No, <laughs> I'm hoping to change that soon. Answer. Yeah. Uh, My mom and dad have been here uh, a lot. Uh, I think they've been to the Philippines seven or eight times. Uh, Matt, my younger brother, comes every other year. So that's been consistent for about the last 15 years. So every other summer he comes and spends a month. Um, Your dad, my older brother, has never been here. Uh, I I think he never really got the travel bug. No, he didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I've had uh, had some friends come, um, not nearly as many as I would like. We're, we're fortunate enough to have a lot of extra space here in Manila, and we also have a house in Subic, which yeah. is the former. Mo- it was the largest overseas Navy base uh, that the U.S. ever had. Okay. And so we, uh, it was turned into an economic zone after the Navy left in November of 1990. So, yeah, we. It's about three hours north of Manila, so we have a house there. So we're, yeah, we're lucky enough to have a lot of room. So we do get visitors, which is nice. But we. We probably have to extend our travel schedule more towards others than they do towards us. Okay.
0: In your twenty five years of traveling back and forth between the states and the Philippines, has it gotten easier? Not necessarily have you gotten accustomed to it, but has travel been made easier through additional airlines, more flights, that kind of thing?
2: Uh no, I don't I don't think so. I think travel used to be easier. Uh there, there weren't the security concerns uh, going going through airports since 2001, since 9/11, uh, it, it was really bad. Say 2001 through five, just took so much time. And any flights, especially in and out of the U.S., uh, it, it, the processing time it used to be much easier. I would say to travel really okay. So I, I think the the um, the fun in traveling, as far as just whipping whizzing through airports, it's uh, not. It's really not. I'm hoping it can return someday mm-hmm. to to a more normalized level.
0: Yeah, yeah. You'd think after a quarter century that travel would have gotten easier, at least a little faster. But it doesn't seem like it's progressed as much as it could have.
2: No, I think it's regressed, uh, and uh, mostly over the security concerns.
1: Right. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I
2: mean you can see it even on domestic flights. I mean, the TSA process it, yeah. it, it used to be just whipped through security and no problem at all. Nowadays, it's quite a process. They're they're making, uh, I, I think, serious efforts to improve that. But uh, for for the last fifteen years, it's really gone backwards.
1: Yeah, I really don't know any other way because I've been, my entire adult life has been you know this post nine eleven TSA checkpoints. Um, but I don't, yeah, hopefully they can eventually find like a nice balance where security is still high and you're able to actually move through in an, in an efficient way. But with, yeah, having to take out your computer and, you know, your shoes are coming off every time. It's people and people are so slow. And if you're behind a family, forget about it. With the little kids.
2: Yep. Yeah. 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 You need to bring a pretty, uh, pretty heavy dose of patience when you're traveling these days. Absolutely. Plus, there's, you know, the population is growing, so the, I, I think the the infrastructure has had a hard time keeping up with the amount of people that are traveling.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Twenty five years ago, much fewer people traveled, especially internationally. It was, uh, it's, it's a little bit more unique yeah. uh, back then than today.
0: Yeah, and with the uh, the Chinese market, with a majority of the Chinese middle class being about as wealthy as Americans now—that that's like another 20 million people, or a million people. Sorry, a billion people that can travel.
2: Yeah, it, it's a massive market, and China has been a substantially untouched market. Uh, one of the other small businesses we have here, we do—we have a training center for marine engineering and marine navigation. So we do follow the. So that's Gigamari, and we do uh, we do follow the marine industry. Pretty carefully still so uh, I, I would say the cruise industry in Asia it's it's ready to just absolutely boom what we saw 25 years ago in Florida and the Caribbean and the Bahamas where people were now nowadays it's pretty pretty normal to take a three four day cruise a lot of people have done it but it was a it was a very unique thing 25 years ago and I did a lot of work on for, for carnival and RCCL so I've taken over a hundred cruises, <laughs> oh, wow. but uh, but the China cruise industry—just what you said—the middle class—it's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's really set up that the cruise industry is going to just blow up here in Asia,
1: really? and they're going to come down into the Philippines, into Inno- Indonesia, to Thailand. Is that is that where they're going to be focusing these cruise ships?
2: Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna come from Japan the whole way down to I. At least to Indonesia, some will cross over down to Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for example, um, Costa Cruise Lines they they have visited now Subic ten times this year, and there's previously been no cruise ships in Subic, so we're already seeing it. That's pretty fascinating.
1: I can see that being very popular.
2: Yeah, yeah. The tra- that that part of the travel market is, is going to evolve a lot over the next ten years. Speaking of especially mainland China, and if India ever gets uh anywhere close to that level not sure they will from my last few trips there <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah india has a, an awful lot of challenges and they haven't uh they they haven't been as uh clever as these yeah they
0: yeah, uh speaking of the middle class chinese there was a recent npr article since bob and i've only been doing this whole podcast thing for like two months um the podcast industry in China is a $7 billion a year industry. And in mm. the U.S., it's only $340 million. But there's just so much fear of missing out that the middle-class Chinese want to make sure they're on their A-game and be as competitive as possible. And, I mean, they're just doing everything they can. It makes sense. Can. I mean, China is the most
2: capitalistic market in the world. Yeah. We had a business partner once, and they, and they he said, oh, yeah, about business, there's really only three businessmen in the world, and that's Chinese, Indians, and Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a Chinese guy that told me that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> said, yeah. So good luck. And, and sort of the dutcher in probably sec- second-tier uh, leaders. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah I have not been... I've not made it over to Southeastern or Eastern Asia, um, but I'm hoping that Amanda and I are able to travel and visit you and Aunt Susie and Nathan in the Philippines and maybe do a little bit more of uh, Oceania, some Australia, and maybe down in New Zealand. It it turns out it's going to be a really big trip every time we look at
2: it. (laughs) Oh that would be a massive trip. I think one one mistake as Americans we make we try to pack too much into a trip. I think a little more focus is is worth the effort and uh maybe make a a, a travel plan over a 10 year period instead yeah. of one trip. One. make uh make four or five trips. All right. Or maybe, maybe I was I'll just the do every year. Of Europe. Yes. Yeah, try to do 15 countries in 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 2 weeks so. Yes. Yeah. No, You'll just
1: uh, have to take a year off, Elliot, and do think, it all.
0: I think so. Yeah. I think that's going to have to be it.
2: Yeah. Well, hopefully, this podcast uh, supports that effort.
0: That's what we're hoping. It's been it's been fun so far. I mean, we like I said, we've only been doing it for about two months. You're our, I think, eleventh guest that we've had on, and it's been a lot of fun just chatting.
1: We've been learning a lot. Yeah, we've had some incredible people on, um, with with all different world experiences and travel experiences
0: but we appreciate your insight. Um, if you, so over the last 30 years of you traveling, has, you said it's gotten the allure has kind of dimmed because you don't get that tingling sensation anymore when you travel to a new place or explore except for Saigon. Um, had, do you still enjoy it when you
2: travel? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I reckon it to a comment as, as you know, we go fishing in Alaska pretty often. Yes. And, uh, (laughs) Captain Andy, yeah. I, I we we said, hey, do you ever get tired of seeing whales? He said, the day I get tired of seeing whales, I should stop this, and I should find something else to do. Yeah. So it it kind of goes to traveling. The the day you, it becomes too mundane and it becomes more work than fun, mm-hmm. it should stop. So yeah, definitely, I haven't reached. That. Yeah. I, I I still really enjoy traveling.
0: Yeah, what's been your favorite trip of recent memory outside of the Philippines? Wow!
2: My favorite trip. You know, it's it's funny. It, it's a little bit reverse, but I I enjoy my trips back to the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's because I've been living out of the U.S. so so long that uh, I I really enjoyed my trips to Florida, mm-hmm. Melbourne to. Cocoa Beach area. Yeah, it's a, it's a part of Florida that I wasn't familiar with till my mom and dad, till grandma and grandpa moved there. Yeah, and it's just an amazing part of the world. I mean, just with the uh, with the Indian River and the the uh, the Banana River, it's just and all the bridges. It's it's really a, a cool part of the world. So I think one of the uh, one of the things we should appreciate in the U.S. is how many amazing travel spots we have yeah within a very short reach that's very true probably i'm not answering the question well because i my my favorite trips (laughs) have been both to pennsylvania bringing nathan and showing him the pond and fishing so summer in pennsylvania is just an absolutely amazing place and uh then florida has has been a lot of fun as well so those those two trips uh, in the last year—one to Pennsylvania, one to Florida—my. All right. And outside of that, I I would say Saigon Tens last year was uh, was a really.
0: Yeah, well, that's interesting to have a, sort of an outsider, like an insider's but an outsider's experience coming back to my home state of Pennsylvania and Florida, because a lot of people we had a girl on last weekend and she traveled all over the world but is from australia and we asked her if she's traveled around australia hasn't been outside of sydney and i i guess that's kind of the same australia is big yeah yeah it's kind of the same thing so you you grew up in pennsylvania but you still find it to be incredibly attractive and living in pennsylvania my a majority of my life i still do find a lot of pleasure in traveling around Pennsylvania. but there's just so it seems like there's so much more excitement in other countries that are more foreign
1: that's that's sort of how I look at it too like I enjoy traveling the United States it just doesn't give me that that tingling feeling as you mentioned earlier but I also have you know I haven't lived away I think if I were to live live in a different country for long enough traveling to the United States will then give you that tingling feeling again especially if you're going to a hometown that you haven't seen in quite some time
2: Yep. Yeah. And uh, of course, Alaska, is that a foreign country? I'm not sure, but, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> sort of, sort yeah. of. It's, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll put it in the gray zone. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely yeah, it's, in the gray you zone. You know, for, uh, as you know very well, Elliot, the uh, Whalers Cove Lodge is, uh, it's gotta be one, one of the most amazing trips anybody can take yeah. any place in the world. So yeah. it's yeah. Just, just incredible place. It yeah. is. And you, outside of that, we're, uh, we're heading to Bali for the, the Christmas season this year. So uh luckily with rugby they do these auctions. So I was able to get a villa and then there were two and then it ended up somebody else didn't want there, so I got two villas. So uh there's three families that are all going to Bali with two villas uh, for, for uh eight days over Christmas. So that'll be a lot of fun.
0: Oh man, that sounds like a blast. That'll be one big things. party. <laughs> I mean,
1: I've heard great yeah. things about Bali. Very good things. That that's that's somewhere that hopefully I get to see one day. I know a lot it, of Australians go there. It's it's a very popular destination for like spring breaker for Australian spring breakers. Whatever you, you know, they're
2: sure they're, because of the proximity. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's sort yeah. of like our Cancun, is from what yeah. I understand.
2: yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's very. It's uh the tourism is very well developed there. So I've been a lot of different parts of Indonesia, but yeah, Bali is a a little bit different.
0: Well, I did want to ask you a little bit. So we've talked about our side of the family. Um, have you met most of Aunt Susie's family? Do they ever, have they ever wanted to come to the U.S. or travel?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, traveling to the U.S. is not that easy. Uh, not a, just from a visa perspective. U.S. visas are, they're, they're, uh, they're a little bit demanding in what, uh, who, who who is issued a visa and who is not. Okay. Um, there, there are a lot of Filipinos that have emigrated to the to the U.S. and there's a lot of families. Her family is substantially here. Yeah, so I, of course I know her family well. Unfortunately, her father passed away quite a while ago, so it's just her mom and she has ten brothers and sisters. Oh, wow. I would say a, medium, a medium-sized Filipino family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, fil- Filipino families are are large and. Uh, yeah, she's um, she's but uh, she she's the definitely the most traveled. Um, okay. Her sister does yeah. live in Australia. Her older sister, so we've um, we've been to Australia, and she went a couple years ago to visit her. So there there's a there's a little bit of travel, but uh, also the the one thing about travel it takes resources as well, and yeah. so generally uh, what we would consider middle class in the US would be you would be considered quite rich here okay yeah. so, uh, the the middle the middle class is emerging here uh, Metro Manila there's an enormous middle class but outside of Metro Manila and Mexico, so the major cities uh, it remains high <clears throat> highly rural a lot of agriculture um, a lot of fishing and, and so the uh, yeah the the per capita GDP is still relatively low. So it puts travel out of the reach of many. Uh, the one thing the Philippines exports very readily, and it's their largest single source of I, foreign revenue. Is people. Can
1: I guess, can I guess?
2: Yeah,
1: ahead, did you d- say it yet, what was it?
2: They, I did, but nobody heard me. No, I, no, didn't.
1: I, <laughs> I didn't hear you. I, well, I, was, I thought I was gonna say that their largest export was
2: mangoes. Ah, no, people. People. <laughs>
1: People is their largest export.
2: There are about nine million overseas foreign workers in the Philippines. Really, and they are the single. uh, They 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 go to work. They there's a lot in the Middle East. There's but also Hong Kong, Singapore. So it's a real mix between uh, domestic workers. The Philippines exports an awful lot of nurses, doctors, uh, and so at that level. And I would say the doctors. And nurses at one level, and then you've got the the domestic helpers at the other level. And then there's an awful lot of uh, skilled laborers that, so from welders to mechanics to electricians to construction workers, semi skilled. And and so the Philippines has done uh, a large part of building the Middle East from Saudi to Abu Dhabi to Dubai, a a lot of Filipinos working. Also in Africa. I mean, I so many of our guys I've worked with have overseas access. Do
0: most of the workers stay abroad or do they send money back like with remittances um, and uh, the then remitt- eventually the, come back?
2: The, the idea is really to work abroad, remit all the funds back. So that's why so many of the U.S. dollars come back. As I said, it's the single largest source of U.S. dollars for the Philippines. It's not foreign direct investment, which they measure, but it's, uh, it's and it's not tourism. It's overseas foreign workers remitting money back. Wow! So yeah, so the Philippines do travel a lot. Uh, also, in the marine world, there's about four hundred thousand uh, Filipino seafarers. So quite an enormous. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's Philippines and China now that are are crewing many vessels both as officers and uh and, and rankings so they're they Filipinos do travel a lot but it's more for work except for the middle class and the upper class which there are are a lot of number wealthier they travel a lot uh, but the most traveled Filipino are the ones who are working abroad
0: it seems like uh your other int- uh, other business giga is it gigamari gigamari yeah, yes is poised to do well in terms of training
2: yeah it's a tough market but uh so far it's doing it's doing really well Mm -hmm. and we've been able to hopefully improve the competency of a lot of seafarers yeah
0: well i am very appreciative for you joining us it was nice talking to you and hopefully uh amanda and i will get a trip scheduled to come see you and bob and bob
2: (laughs) well elliot and bob you're more than welcome anytime and when, whenever you come to Asia, don't rush.
0: Yes, yes. I think we'll have to do two weeks and just say, all right, we're just going to the Philippines.
2: Yeah. And, you know, if you want to do some side trips, Philippines is actually a very good hub. Uh, it's two hours from Hong Kong, three and a half hours from Singapore, three hours from Thailand, five hours from Bali. Maybe, so it's maybe a month. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're pretty yeah, close to Cambodia, too. I and mean, That's a country yeah. that I want
2: to see. So Cambodia, Laos, uh, Vietnam, are all within reach. So you, you, can, you can kind of come here base out of here and take some trips. Well,
0: you'll definitely be hearing from us and hopefully I'll see you soon. Um, do you have any last words of wisdom or travel advice, sage travel advice for people that are trying to find a way to travel if they don't have the money or if they are privileged enough to travel? Uh, for pleasure. Do you have any advice?
2: Well, it's funny. Most of my travel has been work related. Uh, So if you, if you really enjoy travel, find find a job that, find a job that takes you there. I mean, then, then it solves the, uh, the money problem. Uh, if you can't find a job that allows you to travel, which there are plenty of them out there, uh, you just need to search, uh, then, then yeah, make, Plan your trips well and don't rush. Don't try to see too much at once. Take your time and and enjoy where you are. And one of my favorite sayings, uh, a truly happy person always enjoys the scenery on a detour. So don't be afraid of detours that will always happen during traveling.
1: I like that a lot.
2: I do too. That is good. All right.
0: Well, thank you again.
2: All right. Very welcome. Uh, Hopefully it wasn't a waste of everyone's time.
0: No, not at all.
2: No. Yeah, thank
1: <laughs> you. Thank you. No, this is great.
0: That is our show for today. That was quite an enlightening conversation. I only get to see my uncle every so often due to the fact that he lives in the Philippines, but I have always really enjoyed hearing about his trips. Growing up as a kid, he traveled the world, and I didn't know many people that did that. But I knew a little bit of his past, but not the full story, just bits and pieces here and there. So for me, this was an incredible learning experience to hear about his history of how he grew up and kind of made his way over to the Philippines.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and you have to let me know when you go there.
0: Yeah, I absolutely will.
1: I'm going to try to fit in your carry on.
0: (laughs) That's going to be a big carry on.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It might be over the 50 pound weight limit.
1: (laughs) Anyway. So thank you for tuning in again. As, as we've stated in previous podcasts, you can reach out to us on various social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, or our Patreon page. We, would appreciate ratings on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Please just take some time and, and give us a, a rating. Also, we recently started a Facebook um, group called the Travelers Blueprint Community. Reach out, join the group. We're kind of thinking that we get a little personalized community going where we can all discuss things all things travel we can talk about potential guests maybe you want to have someone on that you think would be great for the show or we can just share travel stories tips tricks on travel uh really wherever it goes that's we're we're gonna let it take its course so take time and, and join that facebook group
0: and once again thank you for being fantastic listeners and tune in next time